This is The Feed. From Markham. From Richmond Hill. From Vaughn. From Aurora. East Gwillimbury. Whitchurch, Stouffville. From everywhere you are. This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, Game On, Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer. A winery, a cidery, a resort, and oh, those fall colors. And the Ontario SPCA honors wartime animals. But first, the COVID trick-or-treat. Halloween is next weekend. Cheek-a-cheek. And as far as Ontario's top doc is concerned, it is a go, but with some strong and safe suggestions for your little ghosts and goblins, and actually for everyone else involved. York Region's Acting Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Richard Gould, joins us now on the feed with more. Welcome to the show, doctor. Thanks for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Well, this is going to look like a very different Halloween from last year, and that's a good thing. Uh, Let's talk about why the Chief Medical Officer of Health, Ontario, made the decision that it was a go, but with some concessions, if you will. Yes, well, the reasoning would be basically that uh, COVID is uh, slowly getting a little bit more under control, um, and uh, we have a highly vaccinated uh, population, not as much with the kids, obviously, because they haven't quite got there, but uh, the risk is a bit lower than it was last year. So there are, with safe precautions, uh, it seems like it would be a reason, you know, a safe uh, thing for kids to do if they, they wish. And, you know, you bring up a good point. We're still uh, trying to figure out and hear from authorities whether children 5 to 11 can be vaccinated. They're the ones who seem to be en masse when it comes to Halloween. How do we protect our children just in general, even those who've been vaccinated? Mm-hmm. Well, the main thing, I mean, there's a couple things. One would be, you know, to, to ideally have the trick-or-treating outdoor, you know, as, as typically it would be as opposed to indoor parties. Uh, so that's a good idea because um, uh, the transmission is lower outdoors. The other thing would be to, whenever there's, uh, you know, to wear a mask, um, whenever they're uh, crowding, uh, that would occur that uh, with other kids. So wearing that mask is important and, and avoiding the crowding as much as possible. So ideally not having large groups of kids descending on a door step at the same time and try and space that out a bit. Um, so that'll help uh, as well just to to reduce the, the possibility of transmission. Um, there are important things, though, about uh, how to wear that mask um, that need to be kept in mind. Like We recommend that that the, uh, the the mask face covering be integrated, you know, be part of the costume if possible. Um, don't wear it underneath a costume mask because that may cause problems in terms of breathing, etc. So where does that leave parents and children then? Do they opt to just have a surgical mask or how do they integrate that into their, you know, their Batman or their their whatever costume they've got going, their face mask? That's a, that's a tough one. And you certainly don't want to uh, impede their ability to breathe. Right. Well, it, it could be a surgical mask or it could be a, a, you know, a cloth mask that's the right size for kids, that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, it's best to try and, well, have it integrated in the costume and then Rather than a mask, a costume mask, it would be better to use, you know, a little bit of makeup or something like that to uh, uh, provide the, the face of the for the for the costume that they're going to be wearing, uh, and the mask could be there. Um, whether or not the mask totally fits in with mm-hmm. the theme for the costume, that you know, that's okay. I mean, obviously, uh, the idea though is the face covering of the mask is is important to protect the kids a little bit more whenever, because, you know, they will inevitably, as they're doing trick-or-treating, uh, occasions when there's going to be a bit of crowding and uh, they can't maintain a two-meter distance. So wearing a face covering then is really important. I'm going to read from the guidelines that the Ontario provincial government mm-hmm. put forward, and this is what I want everyone to hear very clearly. Quote, a costume mask should not be worn over a non-medical mask or face covering because it can be dangerous if the costume mask makes it hard to breathe. So I just want parents to know that and kids to know that as well. So they've got to figure out, and as you said, perhaps the type of mask that does protect from COVID-19 and face makeup rather than a a costume mask. Mm -hmm. The the other thing that's really important too that we have to keep in mind is if your child has symptoms, uh, is ill, don't go trick-or-treating. 
Yeah, that's really, really important. And you mentioned try to keep it outdoors, try not to crowd at doorsteps. Here's what's really interesting, because we've got that in my introduction to you, Dr. Gould. Trick-or-treat, you know, the kids, that's part of Halloween to yell and scream, trick-or-treat at the front door. <laughs> what do you suggest? Well, try not, don't don't yell. <laughs> it's fine if they quietly want to say trick-or-treat and uh, yeah, I guess from my experience, most of them do that. Some will yell out trick-or-treat, but most don't. Uh, so just a, a, a normal conversational trick-or-treat is fine, or, uh, as opposed to yelling. Because uh, the, the stronger your voice, the more likely there is uh, that uh, droplets can be can be transmitted out from the mouth sort of thing. Although, mind you, they, hopefully they're wearing a mask, and that'll help. Uh, but yeah, just keep the voice down would be best uh, than yelling or singing. <laughs> what about hand sanitizer and what about touching and uh, that sort of thing? I mean, it's kind of what we forget when we're out trick-or-treating and you want to grab everything. How do we mm-hmm. integrate hand sanitizer and smart hand sanitation in the Halloween ex- extravaganza? Yeah, well, they don't have to... Uh, clean and disinfect the uh, the candies or things. So, you know, what is recommended is that whoever is uh, providing the treats that they be prepackaged, etc. Commercial uh, treats, um, but they don't have to be cleaned up. But it would be a good idea for um, the child, if they're coming along alone, to have a little bottle of hand sanitizer with them and remember to clean their hands on a regular basis. Uh, and then, uh, or if there's a parent with them, the parent can can uh, uh, bring the hand sanitizer too. What they may want to do is because they're going to be holding railings and various things going up and down stairs, odds and ends. They may want they, it would be a good idea to to clean their hands uh, uh, on a frequent basis because of touching these various surfaces. Or wear gloves. Maybe that's part of the costume. <laughs> uh, they could, but the problem is you had to remember, though, that the, that the surface of the glove will get contaminated over time. Um, so that's bit of a, it could be a bit of a false uh, reassurance about wearing gloves because uh, uh, unless you're going to clean the gloves off, in which case you may as well just clean your hands off. Very good point, Dr. Gould. Thank you. So what if you are not the trick-or-treater, but you are rather the trick-or-treatee, the one giving out mm-hmm. the candies and the goodies? What are some of the things to keep in mind? Okay, a similar idea that if you're sick, if you're ill, you have any symptoms, don't um, you know close up, don't actually offer treats, or if this uh, that would be the best thing. Uh, then, if you are okay and and you're going to be uh, providing treats, is uh, you can consider wearing a face covering when you're answering the door and and providing the treats. Um, say giving out purchased or packaged treats is really important. Um, uh, you know, as, as as well as the kids not seeing your shouting, uh, the person who's providing the treat shouldn't be doing that either. And then the other part, again, the uh, individual should keep their hands clean and uh, think of uh, washing their hands or using hand sanitizer on a regular basis uh, during the the, uh, giving out treats. What about the parents who are accompanying the trick-or-treaters, the little ghosts and goblins? Should they bear anything in mind? (laughs) Uh, A similar idea. I mean, you know, again... um, if they're going to be in any areas where there's a bit of crowding, they should be wearing a face covering as well. That would be ideal to do that. Adds that extra layer of protection. So that would be something they could do. You know, most people, I think, or a lot of people, are relatively comfortable with that. That when they're out and outside and they're walking around, on if the crowd, the sidewalk is crowded or whatever, that that's the kind of situation where you're going to run into a lot of people. Uh, wear your mask. Uh, so that's a good idea. The same idea in terms of uh, uh, disinfecting hands with a hand sanitizer for them is a good idea. Um, and again, you know, I said not only the trick or treaters, but if they, <laughs> the person who's coming with the trick or treaters, uh, the the parent, if they have any symptoms, um, they should not be going out. Um, and consider actually, you know, if there's somebody sick and has. COVID, then no one from the household really should be going out trick-or-treating. Yeah, again, a great point. So what do you say to the kids of York Region right now as they, you know, anticipate probably seven or eight more sleeps until Halloween? They're listening to you. What do you say to them in order to encourage them to be safe, smart, but have fun? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think they'll end up having fun if they're out. But it's just a matter of uh, you know taking some simple precautions um, to make it safe as uh, to make 
get as safe as possible and to enjoy the evening sort of thing um, that uh, it can, you know, trick-or-treating can be done safely. And we know that, you know, kids are excited by it. Uh, and obviously after last year when they didn't really have an opportunity to do that, um, th- it'll be uh, really fun for them to be able to do this. And they can do it safely. If I were trick-or-treating today, if I were many years younger, I would probably opt to go as a healthcare worker. So I'd have the mask, I'd have the gown, I'd have everything to protect myself. Mm-hmm. What would you go as if you could, if you were just a few years younger, Dr. Gould? <laughs> I hadn't even really thought of that, but, but uh, going as a healthcare worker would be easy because the, that would be the easiest thing to integrate a mask into the costume. Yeah, and we sure do respect them, and, and we respect you so much as well. Dr. Richard Gould, York Region's Acting Medical Officer of Health, thank you so much for great advice on the feed. Oh, you're welcome. Companies, big and small, future growth, yes. Brand new issues, oh yes. Tina Cortez explains. Vincent Dixon is a partner in supply chain advisory practice for KPMG. Vincent, welcome to the feed. Hi, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Okay, I got to say your headline that Canadian small and medium-sized businesses are confident of economic rebound and future growth is so optimistic. How hopeful are they really? Uh, well, very much. Oh, good. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's certainly been a challenging year, uh, lots of ups and downs for small to medium-sized businesses. But what we're finding, there, there is a lot of optimism, uh, but this, it centers around really that risk associated with supply chain. So interestingly enough, we, we did a survey recently in August. Uh, we reached out to 505 different uh, different manufacturers, small, medium size. When we talked about where, where do you see your organization in three years and what is the biggest risk, the risks associated, and uh, it came back, supply chain was the number two risk that they identified, which isn't entirely surprising in this year. However, this would probably be the first time that we've seen that. Uh, you know, I've been in supply chain through the years, so it's, it's been, it's been a, a ladder horse to come up in the race, so to speak, and and we're seeing it uh, really become uh, become at the forefront of business planning, of investments, because uh, people are really realizing that this is a key to our success, you know, and all of these things that are happening right now are really sort of highlighting that, uh, the potential risk that's there, and, uh, and it's quite... Uh, it's quite top of mind, and the only thing that's uh, that's currently above it is hiring and retaining talent, which we all know is, has been a risk as well. So, but uh, it's it's a prediction that uh, you know supply chain risk could could climb to the forefront to the number one risk uh, for these businesses in the very near future. So it's uh, it's quite an event. So much to break down there. Let's start with those two words, supply chain. We're hearing so much about that lately. What does that mean, and what does it mean to that average consumer? Sure. I mean, it's it's really the ecosystem of partners. So you kind of think of a supply chain uh, as everybody that, that puts value into that product. So, you know, you're buying something from the store and, you know, it, it seems fairly simple. You go pick it up. What's the big deal? But, you know, there's there's a, a large kind of group and ecosystem, if you will, of partners, uh, sometimes globally, that all have a little piece of this. And, uh, and as much as we, you know, we rely on these products and, and items on our day-to-day use, you know, they're becoming quite fragile when uh, when the systems don't work as they should, you know, and we're looking now at things like the congestion at the ports, uh, the microchip shortage, which has been all over the news, uh, the lack of truck drivers. Uh, all of these things are contributing to supply that's it's getting more difficult for organizations to to find a way to mitigate these risks, and it's driving up costs. So the end consumer is, is seeing that. So the companies, however, that that are finding solutions and finding ways to kind of mitigate these risks are gaining a little bit of market share. So it's, it's quite interesting to see that, uh, you know, it's not all bad news uh, for those that are sort of at the tip of the spear, so, so to speak. Uh, there's, there's some opportunity there as well if, if, they can, uh, if they can mitigate these risks. You also mentioned that there are risks and difficulties in finding and keeping employees. Why is that such an issue right now? The talent drain. There's just so much opportunity for people right now, and especially you know, remote work. I would say plays into it. It's not really my area of expertise, but but certainly, you know, the opportunities are out there. And when I speak the supply chain, I mean, you know, the expertise that 
was there years ago, you know, if I go back to the 90s when it had more of a function maybe of cutting purchase orders and being more tactical in, in sort of the expertise. And now it's, these people are very strategic and they have a very unique set of skill sets. And organizations are recognizing that with those skill sets and with the solutions that, that they have gained through their careers, you know, the impact to organizations is just incredible. So I think that's really one of the true awakenings in terms of supply chain and, and labor. And, and now it's a bit of a scramble. It's like everybody wants these people. They want the, you know, they want the people that have the experience and they want the people that can help them drive value, right? And if they don't have them, which is a difficulty, you know, they say, well, where, where can we outsource this talent and, and expertise? And that's where that's where we come in, like folks like KPMG that, that help organizations through these difficult times and, and drive solutions for them. Is there confidence in growth over the next few years? And, and what is driving the growth? Yeah, I'd say, you know, overall, the... What we're seeing now, the, the economy is certainly kind of in an up and down flux. Uh, but again, in terms of we start talking about the inability to move product on it from a global basis, and we say, why is that and where is that coming from? And all of these factors, again, are driving expertise. And the other thing that I really haven't talked about that's extremely important is, is the technical advancements that are happening, happening simultaneously of all of this. So not only are we having these issues and organizations are having shortages and can't find drivers at the same time, uh, there's advancements happening with digitization of information that, that are driving so much value in the organizations, but there's an expertise that comes with that as well. So there's a lot of kind of different elements. Uh, Industry 4.0, for example, is a, a wide umbrella that incorporates many different elements, but it's all the technical advancements of things like blockchain and artificial intelligence. And, and these things that were sort of sci-fi in the not too distant past are, are now working their way into manufacturing plants and, and again, driving these value. But it's really that expertise that people are, are struggling to find. And it is coming and it's evolving, but it's a bit of a catch-up game. So I would say that's kind of the, some of the struggles with the labor group. And what did the poll find in terms of going digital and how that's the key to digital growth as well? Yeah, I mean, really, that, the investment opportunities that organizations are looking at, just to quote some of the numbers on here. So 82% of small to medium businesses recognize they need to be much more digitized and integrated as a company. And we have 85% of our respondents said we're investing more in new technology and 54% are making further digital investments uh, and just to bolster the growth, really. Because, again, it's, 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 it seems like it's, it's something kind of intangible, but when the closer you are to it, you start to recognize the scenarios and, and what happens. And it's, it's almost like an analogy I have, just to put it in a real-world example. You know, let's say you're, you're buying bread and, you know, you're running out of bread every other day. So what are you going to do? You're going to buy more bread. I mean, that's, we all do that. Let's say you're still running out of bread and you keep buying it and buying it. And then, you know, six weeks later, you realize your dog's been breaking into the cabinet and eating the bread, right? Half of it or something. I mean, the real key to that, so it's a small story, but the key to it is if you knew that underlying issue was there, you wouldn't have bought more bread because inventory can always protect an organization's supply chain, but it's not necessarily the best way to do it. I mean, certainly it mitigates risk, but digitization gives you information in real time, and it enables you to make real live decisions. So again, it's a dog-weird analogy, but you would know that's happening, and you wouldn't have to go through this huge exercise and all these costs. So we're seeing organizations gravitate to this information, and not only is it just it's there and it's kind of, you know, available, it's, it's available for everybody to see every element of their supply chain. So it's evolving to the point where a CEO that has an issue with a particular part of his organization can have an alert or can have a dashboard on his phone and track or her phone and, and track immediately where that is. And that's, that's really kind of, that's the evolution of where we're going. It's that sharing of information is changing the world. And organizations that adapt that and then embrace it are, are, are going to get a lead. And does an increase then in digital business or a hybrid work model mean an increase then in the need for cybersecurity? Absolutely. So they go hand in hand. Mm. And, you know, and that's something at KPMG that we, we take very seriously. You know, when, when you're promoting these, these types of solutions to organizations and 
you're saying, yeah, here's here's a great opportunity. If we're not cognizant of the risk, it's it's bending over a dollar to pick up a nickel, an old phrase that I like to use. But you know, that risk is, is could be severe. So we have to build protections in for organizations, and we have to make sure that we're on the cutting edge of that. And you know, as things develop, yes. Perhaps uh, security is more of a risk, but these, again, they can be mitigated and it can be controlled. So that's it's a huge element of all of this. So I'm glad you touched on that because without that risk, you're kind of flying blind without protection and mitigation. So, you know, you really need to really need to partner with folks that, that know what they're doing in that space and can help protect you. Vincent, you touched on something here that the pandemic revealed supply chain issues. What advice then do you have, or what can you say to small and medium-sized businesses going forward? You know, it's it, it's. I, I look at it like this, and it, just another quick analogy. But you know, say you're sitting on your dock, maybe up in the cottage country, and you're on this beautiful lake, and everything looks pristine. And all of a sudden, the water drains out of that lake slowly. You start to see an old boat. You see an old car. Maybe some tires and shoes. Well, I think of that as really what's happening to organizations. And if you think of the water as inventory, as inventory goes down, your ability to get product goes down, you expose a lot of these kind of ugly things that are in your system and in your process. Now, they've always been there, but you've, again, mitigated it through inventory. So the, the pandemic has taken that inventory in a lot of cases away, exposed, exposed the true risk that's out there. So for organizations, you know, these small, medium organizations, Making sure you do detailed risk assessments, and again, it's something that we do with clients all the time. Go in, we have kind of set lists of things that we go through, and then we do a risk analysis, and then we help provide solutions to organizations. But it's that initial assessment to say, where are you really? Do you know where you are versus your competition against some of the some of the leading practices that are out there? Are you up to snuff on your you know your ERP and your systems? or your enterprise resource planning systems and others within within your organization. Are you where you need to be? You know, you, you change your phone every couple of years because the technology advances, but has, has your floor of your factory done that? Or has your, you know, whatever products you're making or services, have you upgraded to that point? So I think that's that's really fundamental. Taking a really good look, stopping and looking back and saying, do I have the best tools available for me right now? And am I going to be able to grow? What does my three-year forecast look like 10 years down the road? Have I embraced the technologies that are out there to really drive value back into my organization? And am I doing everything I can you know, for, for my employees and, and my customers? That's terrific. Thank you for sharing the analogies and the examples with us. And thank you for sharing your advice and expertise on the feed. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. After the break, I'm on the road with Destination Ontario. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back. Earlier this week, Jim Lang and I hit the road with Destination Ontario's Kevin Forgette. Welcome, Kevin, to the feed. And I got to tell you, I had the time of my life. Oh, no, I had the time of my life, not only because we got to go out and do something, but I got to actually see <laughs> you in person, which was absolutely amazing. Well, and I think that the our listeners and followers should know this, uh, and maybe we've told the story before, but it's worth telling again. You and I first met when I was the host of Breakfast Television, which was many decades ago. You came in as a little boy, and you sat in the window area of the lobby watching all of the comings and goings. Why did you do that? I watched Breakfast Television as a young kid, so I was... 14 or 15 years old. And one day I asked my parents if I could go stand outside the window <laughs> and see the show come together. And you were so kind, uh, not only now, but back then to allow me to come in and sit in the studio audience and, and just sort of, there was not even an audience. You just allowed me to come in and be that kid in the window. And you were so gracious and you really kind of showed me behind the scenes of how it came together. And ultimately I ended up going to school for television and 
worked in TV. So it was all because of you, so thank you so much. And you became the producer of Breakfast Television and many other things, but your best move, I think, was moving to Destination Ontario. So that, I'm so happy. And I watched you in action earlier this week. I watched how you do it. You're amazing. Tell me what your primary role is in Destination Ontario. So my job is to kind of really show people all the cool things to see and do and go to across the province. And with working in the broadcast program here at Destination Ontario, it's taking amazing radio folks like you and Jim <laughs> out on the road and experiencing what you can do. So then you have the opportunity to then talk about it, you know, and, and, and get the word out that Ontario is a very big province. But you can do stuff just in your own backyard or day trips. So there's lots to see and do. And this was a day trip for us earlier in the week. So we started at the Spirit Tree Estate Cidery. I was flabbergasted. There was so much to learn and so much to know, but it was delivered in such an easy, understandable way. We had such a good time and it was a delicious time. It was a delicious time. Yeah, this place is kind of off the beaten path, which is nice exploring things that you don't normally get to see and do. So in Caledon, you know, driving up and down the hills, seeing the fall colors, so not a far drive from Vaughn, and it is family-owned. So Thomas and his wife, Nicole, have opened this up not that long ago, and it really was an orchard and, and picking your own apples, but now has evolved into a place where you can go and try some amazing ciders. You know, I love a cider here and there, and <laughs> it was pretty darn good, but also walking in a massive uh, pizza oven that they have on site, fresh-baked bread, local foods. And, you know, you got to go there and see this the passion that these people have for this very small place. And we also had a little tour of where they press the apples into cider, which was fascinating. I mean, technology has caught up with the desire to have the best cider ever, and it certainly was impactful. It, yeah, seeing the operation and how they do it, they even trusted both yourself <laughs> and Jim to put some labels on some of the cider cans. So we do want to apologize if someone is picking up a cider can maybe in a couple of weeks, and they find out that one of the labels might just be a little off kilter. It's probably the ones that Jim and Ann did, but you know what? It's still going to taste great. Oh, and then we uh, got into our vehicles and we hit the road again. Up the uh, Highway 10 we went, and we followed you because you are our leader and our tour guide. We ended up at a place that I'd only heard of, and it's called Hockley Valley Resort. When we turned left to go in this long driveway up to this gorgeous, gorgeous resort, I was speechless. It is beautiful. So the, the hills to get to Hockley Valley right now, fall colors to your left, to your right, and you said it. You're pulling up to this really beautiful uh, resort lined by trees. And this is a resort that is all four seasons. You know, they have great skiing. They have great uh, pools open in the summer. But this is where it got to shine in the fall. So the resort has great facilities for spa, for food. You know, the accommodations are great. But if you just want to kind of explore the resort, we got to do that also where they have brand new biking trails that they've built on the hills. So if you're into mountain biking, which is huge right now in Ontario, this is the place that you can go try that. But also just kind of going to some of the top of the hills, seeing the golfers to the one side and the fall <laughs> colors to the other side. Hockley Valley is a very beautiful resort. It's the kind of place that satisfies your every need. And even if you don't think you need it, it's there. And then you do want it. So I was really, really impressed with everything. And there was a first-class but casual atmosphere, which was really terrific. Here's the other neat part. We got into vehicles that are called gators. And they're kind of like Jeeps from World War One, if you will, or, or, <laughs> or other wars. Big, fat tires, open everywhere. And the six of us, there were six of us all together, the general manager, Ken Murray, and the uh, head of marketing for Hockley Valley, uh, and that is Shannon Smith. And Rob on the Road was with us at doing the social media part of all of this, which was so great. And Jim and I were, of course, together in one of them. That was really cool. You practically went straight up the ski hill in this gator, all three of us, all three gators going up. Yeah, it was great because they got to, you got to sort of see the resort. So if people are staying there, they can do the walk up to the top of the hill. There's lots of ways to really enjoy the outdoors. And one thing that's really neat is that, you know, you're saying that this is Hockley Valley, not far outside of York region, you know, just outside of Orangeville. Always people think that when they want to do a little getaway or, you know, a little staycation, it has to be far away. The fact that it's not a far drive is actually a bit of a bonus because you're not dealing with a lot of traffic. You're not going too far either. 
So this is a perfect place to kind of do that little staycation getaway. You know, I sent a thank you note earlier this week to the to everyone, and in particular with Hockley Valley, I said that it was a sparkling jewel in the crown of of Ontario's great getaways. It really was. It's just. It, it's just absolutely incredible. I had no idea that it was what it was. And a lot of people, you know, they've discovered it, but they haven't had it. Some people have not yet discovered it. So right now when you're listening, you know, make sure you go on online because even though um, fall is, you know, kind of coming to an end, <laughs> they have great winter getaways and then even booking something for the summer. And then one of their newest things, uh, it's a couple of, not that old, only really, I think about 10 years old, is the winery attached Ooh. to this resort, which is also very rare. Not a lot of resorts have a winery right beside it. And we kept our gators going and up we went. Uh, and it was really impressive. We got to see the various um, barrels and casks full of wine. We got to see every sort of stage from growing on the vines to being served uh, some incredible wine with some... Now, I'm going to ask you, what is the name of the board that had all of the food, <laughs> all of the, the you know, sort of um, meat and, and cheeses and, and, and crisps and so on? What's the name of that board, Kevin? See, and I thought we were friends. I know we are. And the I'm... reason you're asking me <laughs> is because I can never pronounce it. And I'm going to try again. Okay. Shakuri. I think it's shakuri. I think it's shakuri. Shakuri. I've always just said it's a board with cheese and meat. Well, so that's the <laughs> fancy word for it, which I, I can never say. I am the same way, and I have to admit, and I hadn't even had a sip of wine at this point when we were doing a little bit of the video recording. I couldn't say Adamo Estate Winery for the life of me. So don't worry, we are we are kindred <laughs> spirits. It's just it's called life, you know. Sometimes it's a mouthful and you can't get it out. But let me say it very clearly. Adamo Estate Winery, right beside Hockley Valley Resort. It's all together, and it was just sort of the cherry on top of the Sunday, on top of the Hockley Valley Adamo Estate Winery Sunday. It was great, and it, it, a lot of people don't realize that this, that area is a really up-and-coming wine region. You know, there, of course, we've got Niagara-on-the-Lake, we've got Prince Edward County and other ones across the province, but this is an area that is starting to have more and more wineries. This one in particular does an amazing job. They were starting to harvest more of the, the grapes uh, the other day when we were there. And the nice part is you can go there, just purchase some stuff, or you can enjoy a meal right beside the vineyards outside. They have some indoor facilities also. Get to see the barrels. The food is spectacular. And the fact that, uh, you know, you're trying different wines that you don't normally get to pick up all the time in the local LCBOs. Spirit Tree Estate Cidery near Caledon, Hockley Valley Resort and Adamo Estate Winery in Hockley Valley, a stone's throw from Orangeville. Each of these locations, each first class without being stressful. And I like the fact that, you know, this area, York Durham Headwaters, which is sort of the tourism region that we're talking about, has so many hidden gems. And there's so many ways to sort of discover within our own backyards. We're really encouraging people to get out and rediscover your own backyard, rediscover Ontario for sure. These were amazing. And we followed your lead. You're our favorite tour guide, Destination Ontario, Kevin Forgette. How do people get more information? So we have a couple of ways. Our website is uh, destinationontario.com, a brand new website that has lots of great information, but also the area we've been talking about, York Durham Headwaters, and their website, yorkdurhamheadwaters.ca, right on their main page. They have the ultimate fall road trip ideas right there. Kevin Forgette, I will follow you anywhere, anytime. Thank you so much for joining us on the feed, and thank you for really the time of my life last week. It was absolutely incredible. Thank you. I look forward to our next adventure, Anne. Great to see you. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> our next stop, Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer. Jim Lang with the pregame. Since 2011, the Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer has raised, get this, a staggering 23 million dollars. 23 million for life-saving cancer research at Princess Margaret. And for the first time ever, it's coming to York Region of the Smart VMC in Vaughan on Saturday, October 30th to talk more about the arrival of Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer to York Region. Thrilled to be joined by a longtime Richmond Hill resident, their VP of Corporate and Community Partnerships at the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation, Steve Merker. Steve, how are you? I'm great, Jim. Great to be here. Well, it's great to be back. I mean, I know the Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer and the Princess Margaret Foundation tried to do everything to make it virtual last year. 
but it's not the same. This time we're back, back with celebrities, back hanging out with friends, playing road hockey and raising money for a great cause. And it feels really good. It absolutely does. And you know what, Jim, I think this could be the very first charitable event in a, in a large capacity back in, in the entire country. Uh, when we talked to our, our, our supporters in this, in the past five or six months, and we said, Hey, we're thinking about doing this. We're thinking about doing that. They said, you know what? You got to go big. You got to go back to real road hockey. And that's what everyone wants. And that's what we're giving them. And you know what? The fundraising that's, uh, that's coming in is indicated by uh, some great numbers. And, uh, you know, so there's this huge sort of anticipation of getting back together, playing Canada's game and doing it for a good reason. And the best thing about it, and I've been lucky enough to take part in it, Steve, it's so inclusive. It's men, it's women, it's people of all ages and all physical abilities playing road hockey and having a good time and raising money for an important cause. It's just, I mean, you can see it on the faces of everyone there. It's a fun day. Yeah, it really is. You know, when we when we first kind of created this event, we want we didn't want to do ice hockey, we didn't want to do air hockey, we didn't want to do ball, uh, you know, rollerblade hockey. We wanted to do something that anybody can play. And I have a good friend of mine who has a team. They're called the Pirates of the Caribbean. They're <laughs> they're most all women who uh, are from York Region, and uh, you know, half of them have never picked up a stick in their lives. But you know what? They're motivated by the cause. They're motivated to get out and be together on game day, spend a day together, have some fun, uh, you know, try to shoot that orange ball around a little bit, um, but most importantly, raise money for for world-leading cancer research at Princess Margaret. And for the first time ever, it's going to be in York Region in Vaughan at the Smart VMC, Saturday, October 30th. It's been in a few different locations. Why was Smart VMC in Vaughan such a good location for this event and your organization, Steve? Well, you know, it's hard to find the amount of space we need and, you know, good space. Um, you know, the it's crucial for uh, to play road hockey on nice, smooth uh, surfaces, and we've, we've kind of bounced around over the years. And when we approached Smart VMC earlier this year and said, hey, we're looking for a venue, they were like, with open arms, come. We would love to support you in any way possible that you could put on your event and, and raise you know money for, for cancer research at Princess Margaret. So we were thrilled that they were so excited to host us and um, we're, we're excited to bring like over a thousand people, including, as you mentioned earlier, Jim, these celebrities, like, you know, we've got some of the classics, uh, like Wendell Clark and Jeremy Roenick, who actually came to the very first road hockey to conquer cancer. He's making an appearance and, and so many others that uh, are going to be there on game day, participating and playing alongside, um, everyone else. Speaking with Steve Merker, the VP of Corporate and Community Partnerships of the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation for the Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer. Get details of the website, roadhockeytoconquercancer.ca. Steve, when this was envisioned and it started low, low those many years ago, in your wildest dreams, did you ever think uh, two Guinness World Records, 600 celebrities, 14,000 participants, $23 million? Was that even a possibility when you started this, Steve? No, you know, we, we had done our research on hockey fundraisers and, you know, uh, there was a couple of hockey fundraisers that raised like close to a million dollars on an annual basis. And even the NHL with all their might and all their sort of influence, uh, their hockey fights cancer program was raising maybe $700,000 a year in like in 30 markets across North America. So the fact that we're raising, you know, between two and three million dollars every year in road hockey to conquer cancer kind of blows my my mind. It, it just shows the passion um, for the community, the, the hockey community, and the, the the southern Ontario community, including so many people from York Region who want to make a difference uh, in in this cause that affects so many. So uh, you know, to answer your question, uh, it's kind of blown us all away. Hitting those two Guinness Book of World Records was uh, was astounding a few years ago, and we continue to you know, have so much enthusiasm for this event uh, as we as we move past, hopefully, COVID um, in these coming years. Steve, uh, the events I've been at, you hear some of the, the brilliant minds of Princess Margaret speak to the men and women and boys and girls taking part in the event, and you realize, wow, well, they're doing special work. But what really gets me is when the cancer survivors talk, talk from the heart of why we're doing mm-hmm. this, and you can hear a pin drop, and it is it is so impactful. I mean, everyone like, let's go, let's get play road hockey. We got to raise more money. Yeah, well, you know, what, our our co MCs of the event that have been doing this for for years, uh, Glenn Healy <laughs> and Nick Kiprios, and and Glenn Healy is a part of a, a bagpiper band, yes, uh, the Highland Creek band, and so they come and they play, and you know, one of the songs they they typically play is the Amazing Grace, and. 
you know, it's an opportunity to, for everyone there to reflect on people in their lives that, uh, you know, have maybe not made it from uh, their journey uh, through cancer. And uh, so it gives us all an opportunity to really remember why we're playing and why we're raising money and why we need to continue to raise money. Like, we're seeing some, some great results from the money that's being raised. Like, the, the, the stats are getting better and better. Like, for, for most breast cancers and testicular cancers and prostate cancers, the survivor rates are in the 80 and 90 percentiles now. So we're, we're making great progress, but there's still some really tricky cancers out there like pancreatic cancer and brain cancer. And we still need to do a lot of work to, to support people who are diagnosed with all the cancers and, and make it a hundred percent survivorship rate for, for all these cancers. So we still have a ways to go for sure, Jim. You know, Stephen, I really thought about you and the men and women you work with at the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation through the first few months of COVID because it was almost like we didn't talk about cancer or anything else. It was only COVID. And I thought, how are they raising money? How are they How are they doing research when all the focus got shifted completely to COVID-19? Yeah, you know, it was uh, in all of our events, like our fundraising, and, you know, as you mentioned, you can't really do a virtual road hockey event. So <laughs> we didn't even have an event last year, so we barely raised any money. We still had some people supporting, which was fantastic. But, you know, going from raising over $3 million to last year, I think we raised 700000 was it's just not enough to support the research that's going on here. So, you know, the other thing about, you know, COVID, which, you know, when we needed to raise money to help frontline workers and, and help the research behind COVID, but... Um, it, it took away, um, I guess, primarily is that people didn't come in to get their, their normal checkups. Mm. And, and because of that, uh, there's a lot of people coming in now to see their doctors and they're getting diagnosed with a later stage cancer. And, and later stage cancer has less uh, survival rates than early detected cancer. So, so we're fearing that there's going to be a whole bunch of almost a tsunami of late stage cancer diagnosis. And, and we need to be ready for that. And so we need to double down on our efforts to, to support research and, and new ways to treat people so that their survivor rates are, are as good as ever. But it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little nervous and so are the docs about some potential hidden cancer that's going on in our community right now. Road hockey to conquercancer.ca. You can search out individuals or teams and make donations whenever you want. It's four games per team, three and three in a goalie. Uh, but then, now, because of COVID, it is a little bit different. You have, have to have a vaccine passport. That's mandatory. And masks are mandatory where you're not taking part in games. And that's just common sense when you think about it, Steve. Yeah, we're, we're following those uh, rules actually to the letter. So, you know, if you're playing, you can run around without your mask on. But otherwise, uh, you know, if you're you know, I went to a Blue Jays game when they were making their run uh, into the playoffs and they almost made it. But I, you know, went to a game and we were wearing our mask in the aisles and, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, when we're eating and drinking, mask off. But uh, we got to follow the rules. We got to, you know, kick this COVID thing and put it behind us so that next year we can return to completely normal is, is what we all hope. You know, I wanted to ask you, Steve, I mean, I know how much blood, sweat and tears you put into this every year to make it a special event and raise a lot of money. Why do? You, why is it so important to you? What is the personal side of this that means so much to you that you do so much for this event, Steve? Well, you know, I love events. I love the community. But you know, for me personally, my my wife was diagnosed with cancer at our uh, one year anniversary back in 1996, and you know, and it was touch and go for for quite a period of time. And she was six months in the hospital, and uh, you know, thank goodness she got through it, and she benefited from a ba- brand new drug at the time that was in part. Um, discovered by some research that had gone on here at Princess Margaret. And so that new drug uh, not only saved her life, but it, it spared her reproductive system. So we were able to have kids, um, you know, a few years later. So, you know, it's personal to me, um, as it is to so many people out there. So, you know, I love to I love to play sports. I love to play hockey and ball hockey in particular. And, uh, you know, so doing that for uh, a great reason and raising a bunch of money for cancer research, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very meaningful to me and the, and the entire road hockey community. Well said. I can't wait to be there that day. I'll be doing some cut-ins from the event on Saturday, October 30th at what should be a fabulous setup at Smart VMC in Vaughn. You can get all the details, roadhockeytoconquercancer.ca. They're on Twitter, at Road Hockey. Steve Merker, the VP of Corporate and Community Partnerships of the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation, and he's being too modest, a bit of a sniper when it comes to road hockey, and quite a talent himself. Thank you so much for doing this, Steve. All right. Thanks for having us, Jim. I can't wait to see you on game day, October 30th. When we come back, honors for wartime animals. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. 
Welcome back. The Ontario SPCA is recognizing cats as this year's symbol, honoring the wartime contributions of animals. Yes, cats. Callie Milliman from Ontario SPCA joins us now with what felines did during times of war and still contribute to this day. Welcome to the show. Great to have you on the feed, Callie. Thank you so much for having me, Anne. So this initiative started in 2017, and you've been honoring all sorts of animals. Why the cat this year? So the Ontario SPCA has released a new commemorative Animals of War pin, as you mentioned, and it is a cat this year, and we're really excited about it because not many people know that cats actually served as companions during wartime and helped keep ships free of vermin. Which is incredible, and we don't give cats enough credit. Do they still help out in times of war? Is their their presence still wanted and needed, and are they making contributions? I I wouldn't say so much maybe today that we see as much cats necessarily in wartime. You know, um, we know with companion animals and adoption that, you know, it's like to keep our companions close to home and with us at home. Um, But certainly when we look back in history and we we check out those contributions of animals, you know, even when we look back with other animals that we've recognized as well, you know, in the past, a horse, a dog, um, you know, that... Uh, horses helped transport troops and hauled field guns and, you know, even pigeons delivered crucial messages. You know, things are done a little bit differently now. So um, it, it's great for us, though, to be able to have this pin to, you know, commemorate the, the brave, you know, contribution that they had during wartime and to be able to have a pin to symbolize, symbolize and, that. And you talk about the pin. So for every pin that's sold, and people can go to your website to find out more, each pin sold, $1 is donated to Royal Canadian Legion branches to support veterans. That is brilliant. It's really important for us, of course, to have, uh, you know, the funds from the pins to help care for the animals in need, you know, that we have across the province through the Ontario SPCA. But, of course, it's important for us as well to give back. And we really feel like that's what this is all about, is being able to recognize, um, you know, all of the contributions of our veterans and everything that they've done for us and, and their courage and sacrifice. So we're asking anybody who would like to order either the new cat pin or one of the other pins, which could be our pigeon pin, horse pin, or dog pin, to visit ontariospca.ca slash animals in war. And you're encouraging people to wear w- alongside their poppy the pin of their choice, the commemorative animals in war pin of their choice. Absolutely. We do feel it is important to, you know, make sure you do get your poppy uh, this year as you would every year and, and you can wear your pin alongside it. Absolutely. Kelly, how do you know what cats did during times of war in the past? Was this chronicled in diaries uh, that the, the now veterans, uh, the soldiers would write about? How do you know what they did? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So our team spent a lot of time doing lots of great research. There are some, um, you know, world history and uh, national museum, you know, World War II museum uh, websites, and lots and lots of great research and, and articles out there that actually talk about uh, what cats did in the military, um, cats, you know, during sea services, um, you know, how cats were used in, in wartime. So our teams, you know, when we were sort of going through and doing this research, we felt it important to, you know, have the cat be the, the new pin this year. And, um, you know, it's actually really interesting if anybody out there wants to do a little research of their own, I, I definitely recommend it. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible to see what types of contributions animals had to uh, wartime and, and how they sort of stood by our brave soldiers during all of that time. So a great way to commemorate them and, and to, uh, you know, have them be represented alongside your poppy is to purchase one of the pins. And, you know, cats as companions today, they make a difference in everybody's life, those of us who have cats. But you think back during war, a lonely, scary, frightening, difficult time for the soldiers who were on the battlefield. And there were cats in in trenches, I understand, and, and that made for great companionship, but they actually were cats who worked, and we talk about, as you mentioned, uh, seafaring vessels, and they helped keep the mice population down and the rat population down, things that are a little creepy to think about, but it's part of the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, you make a lot of really great points there, Anne. I think, for sure, you know, anybody who has a cat can easily recognize how much love and affection their cat gives them, and 
you know, that sort of camaraderie and definitely would help, you know, maybe even with, um, you know, anxieties or stress. We all feel that, you know, today. And of course, that would not be of any shortage then as well. So I think we can understand how they would be, um, you know, great sort of companions. But yes, you're absolutely right. They definitely did have a job. And, and yes, maybe it's not as uh, nice for us to think about what that job was, but it was very much reality of what our veterans did during wartime, which is, you know, why it's important for us each year to remember, um, pay our respects, you know, get our poppy, wear our pin, and uh, take the time to, you know, think about um, how how Canada's veterans uh, really did so much for us today. We think about the horse, and that's one of the many that have been celebrated through your commemoration pins. Uh, what was the most substantial contribution that horses made in past times of war? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, really they were transportation in so many ways and so many facets. You know, horses um, not only helped transport troops, of course, um, you know, from place to place, but they also helped to pull field guns and, and artillery and, and uh, even, you know, mules were also a part of that as well. You know, they had to get from one place to another somehow. And, you know, knowing that horses were there standing by their side, helping um, them to, to do everything that they did during wartime, it was it was really important, and, and I think we see that as well with other animals. Um, we mentioned last year we had the pigeon pen, which you can still order this year as well. Um, you know, pigeons were, were very important to helping deliver important messages and crucial messages. So um, truly, the animals were such a huge part of the contribution to wartime, um, really stood bravely alongside our veterans, and, and you know, that's why we feel it's important to, to remember them each year. And canines, wow, what they did uh, years ago uh, during the First and Second World Wars, but also today what they do in war-torn situations. Their, their role is a little bit different and it's a little more high-tech, but it's, it's essential. You got it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm always really impressed by what dogs are doing today. You're absolutely right, you know. Um, but back then, again, as messengers as well, um, medical assistants, bomb detectors, search and rescue workers. And yeah, you're right. They do definitely play a huge role today as well. And, and it's really quite incredible. Um, you know, I, I can understand anybody out there would be, you know, uh, hopefully very happy to, you know, recognize the animals and what they've done and their contribution as well. Um, you know, because it, it's pretty incredible. So this is the year of the cat when it comes to the wartime new commemorative animals in war pin. How can people get their hands on those or their paws? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So we uh, encourage everybody to order your pin by visiting ontariospca.ca slash animals in war. And Callie, just a quick word. We are right around the corner from Halloween. What do you say to people who have black cats or are thinking of adopting black cats? What's your best advice when it comes to black cats and Halloween? Yeah, so my best advice would be for anybody who has a black cat or really any cat, keep them indoors for Halloween. Um, you know, there's going to be trick-or-treaters around and, uh, you know, of course, we want to keep our animals safe. That's number one. So keep them at home indoors where it's nice and safe. And if you're thinking of adopting, just remember you are adopting a forever friend. So, you know, visit ontariospca.ca to check out our animals and cats available for adoption. Our staff can take you through the process of adopting and you'll have a new forever family member. Mm -hmm. Callie Milliman, Ontario SPCA, thank you so much for joining us on the feed. Thank you so much, Anne. Have a great day. And you as well. Thank you. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.